You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas, a longtime MMA journalist, novelist, and podcaster. And joining me, as always, from MMA Junkie in USA Today, it's your friend and mine. You know him, you love him. You can't live without him. Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, did you ever break your nose? Yeah. You have? Yeah. How was that for you? You were there. Uh, Oh, that's right. I was there. You broke your nose during a flag football game. Flag football. During a flag football championship game. That is an important distinction. Which we won, by the way. Yeah, that was gross. It was gross. It was so cold out there that like your blood was frozen on the ground. And and on my face. Froze my face almost immediately. Uh, And it's just... Let me tell you something. It's a bad feeling when you take that hard smash to the nose you're a little woozy from that you reach up kind of instinctively to feel your nose to like feel like is it okay and as soon as you kind of touch your nose you feel oh there's a lot of movement there yeah moving parts there's not supposed to be that much movement in my nose bad bad moment right then so you could empathize then with the barbarian Tim Boach oh. from this weekend at Fight Night 146. I bet the forums just lit up over on barbarianhorde.tv. It was a sad night. A sad yeah. night. And it, at least we have the shave ice business to fall back on. See, that's as soon as he got his nose smashed and he was just being frustrated as he tried to, to follow Omar Akhmadov all over the cage, I couldn't help but look at him with this new knowledge we have and go, Tim, you don't need this aggravation, man. Go shave some ice, you my guy. You got a shave ice business. It went like gangbusters last summer, according to Tim Boach. You don't need this shit, man. So what do you you know what I like about having UFC fighters in the broadcast booth? Is that when someone gets their nose broke by another person's stiff right hand, it's no big deal. You know, in polite society, <laughs> yes. that might call a close to whatever whatever activity had previously been underway. UFC, obviously combat sports, but, you know, when you got a guy like Paul Felder in the booth, it's pretty much like, you know, it's not going to bother him that much. Yeah. Other than he's, he's going to, it's going to hinder his breathing. Yeah. He was just like, okay, he'll no longer be able to breathe out of his nose. But other than that, it shouldn't, it shouldn't bother him too much, which lets you know that Paul Felder is operating on a different kind of program than you and me. Yeah. Well, I already knew that, but this is another reminder of that. Yes. Another reminder of that. The thing about breaking your nose in a fight that always strikes me as the most horrific aspect of it is that the fight keeps going. Yeah. And you could get punched in that nose again. Again. I know. I I even hate Whereas, sometimes. Whereas, like, you just want to go home and have no one touch that nose for, like, six to eight weeks. Yeah. Well, as a viewer, I'm sometimes even like, oh, don't do it. Not the nose. Not the nose again. Don't hit his nose. Can't you see his nose is already smashed? Why and would again, you, why would you hit him in that nose? In the on the UFC broadcasting, you know what? We love Paul Felder. He's a great broadcaster. He's a hell of a guy. I've interviewed him before. They're wondering aloud why Omari Akhmedov doesn't punch the nose more. That's that's what the topic of conversation is like. Why is he not punching the nose? Why isn't he sticking his forehead on the nose and just in their own words, quote unquote, roughing him up a little bit? Yeah. 
That's that's a nice euphemism. Just dealing with different kinds of cats. Just just roughing them up. Just different kinds of dudes over there in this sport. Somebody takes you by your shoulders and kind of shakes you. That's roughing you up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Somebody put grinds their head into your already badly broken nose. It is considerably worse than a roughing up. I agree. I, I definitely agree. Remember, if you want to support the show, you can go over to CottonBureau.com and pick up Cowboy Astronaut cigarette t-shirts or Dundasso t-shirts. Those are available on demand all the time whenever you want them. Just go to CottonBureau.com and pick yourself up some co-main event podcast merchandise. We got music again this week from our guy, The Fifth Element, a music producer from Fort Worth, Texas. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over on Twitter at The Fifth Element or Facebook.com slash The Fifth Element or SoundCloud.com slash The Fifth Element Official. Ben, before we go on. We got to set a hard and fast deadline, just as I promised on Friday's Power Hour, for people on the Patreon to make sure that we have their shipping addresses so we can send them koozies and stickers. Okay. Because we already tried to set one deadline, shipping addresses are still trickling in. We got to say, look, get them to us by Friday. If they're in there, if we have them, we will send you your stuff. If not... We can't make any promises. Okay. Obviously, we can't send stuff to people if we don't have their shipping addresses. No, we can't. We just can't do that. So if you want to get a koozie or a sticker in the mail, March 15th, that's this Friday, make sure we have it either in in your Patreon uh, profile, which would be ideal because that's how we're going to download them all. Right. Or if you can't figure out how to do that, Send us your address via Patreon message. If you have already sent us your address, you don't have to do it again. We've already got it. Okay. I have a follow-up question. Uh, Will we listen to people's bitching and complaining if they miss this deadline? No. Okay. I mean, we will. Obviously, we will. (laughs) Since we've been doing this for seven years and we listen to people's bitching and complaining on all topics all the time. On a weekly basis. We can't make any promises, though, is what I said. Okay. Maybe you'll still... Maybe you know what? Depending on the day... And how we're feeling, maybe we'll still send you a koozie. Maybe we'll send you a fucking copy of Skyfall. Yeah. How about that? Then who would who would would be the bum's ass? Uh, Skyfall would be the James Bond film, oh, right? Cloudfall. That's Cloudfall. That's what I meant to say. I believe. We're not going to send you Skyfall. Cloudfall. That's when you know you fucked up. Is the person the who gets... The movie, is it it's something different? Whatever. We'll send you that Gina Carano movie that we watched. That's when you, you know don't want you that. fucked up. If you yeah. get that... You have offended us uh-huh. in some way. I imagine somebody one day unwrapping that, getting going to get the mail, bringing that home, unwrapping it, and like they see it, and then they just think, "Dear God, what have I done?" What like the Godfather it? music plays, and they're just like, "Oh, there's no coming back from getting Cloudfall in the mail." I have fucked up. This Friday, March fifteenth, get your addresses in there. Three rounds as usual this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one. Nothing like watching a Cracker Jack fight like Junior Dos Santos versus Derek Lewis thrilling to the action as everybody gets to do their stuff and then finding out that one of those guys fought well, terribly injured. MMA gonna MMA, I guess. And in round number two, it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about Stipe Miocic as maybe the greatest UFC heavyweight of all time. Now, we're not talking about him at all. That and other worrying developments in the new heavyweight landscape. And in round number three, UFC London. That's all I got. UFC London. Okay. All that plus are you fucking kidding me? Just saying stuff and master tweet theater. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. 
First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Cameron Chapman. He writes, hey, remember when Drew Dober was piecing up Dariush on the feet, then got taken down, then managed to escape only to shoot in for his own takedown? You may remember because shortly after that, he got his arm nearly ripped off. Add that to the Dirty Bird uh, winning right up until he wasn't and entering a world of pain. And my question is, do MMA fighters not have game plans or are they just incapable of sticking to game plans? You know what? I feel like it's unfair to throw Tim Means in here. Yeah. Like Tim Means just got knocked out. Yeah. He was, in fact, winning right up to the moment that he did not win. Right. But I can understand wanting to say Drew Dober might have made a momentary tactical error when he had a chance in the second round. He escaped Benil Dariush's ground control. He could have separated. He could have started back on the feet. He chose to clinch, not for very long, just for a few seconds, ended up back on the ground and ends up getting... uh, armbar triangle thing by Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, uh, Benil Dariush. That, you know, I can understand uh, some criticism there, even though, like, that's just a momentary lapse of, mental lapse by Drew Dober. Tim Means, I don't see why we got to throw the dirty bird in this, man. That's just, (laughs) the dude already got knocked out. This is just insult to injury. Man, not only knocked out, but then broke his, his tibia and his ankle on the collapse after the punch landed. Which, man, that that just is awful. Yeah, that's that's uh, was it. Crocop that blew his knee out when he when he fell down when he got knocked out by Brendan Schaub. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that one definitely because he was doing everything right. He was landing with great regularity on Nico Price and Pat was pushing him back toward the cage, and then just Nico Price fires off one punch and catches him, changes his whole world around. Uh, the idea that, hey, you go in there with the game plan, I don't know if that necessarily means, like some people will say, like, hey, I go in, I don't form a game plan at all. Right. I, I just try to be ready for all the things where I'll have my, my coaches watch tape on the guy to tell me, like, here's what he does. Here are the things to watch out for. Other people are a lot more meticulous about it. But it's also, you have to be able to adapt to what's going on in the fight. So you can't go in there so rigidly stuck to a game plan that you're like, here's all we're going to do. We're, we are under no circumstances going to take him down. And even if you tell yourself that that's what you're going to do, sometimes you go in there and they could see how you're on autopilot to some extent. Yeah. And things, things are happening really fast. You just kind of react at times. And then the next thing you know, you did something that you hadn't planned on doing. Right. You can see how that happens. Yeah, especially when pain is involved and fatigue and uh, you're out there in front of thousands of people and you're on television the lights are on. Like, I think most athletes in general, and, and I think fighters in, in particular, admit that they are basically on autopilot. And in fact, the meticulous training and repetition is so you can be on autopilot while you're out there. So you don't have to think about it. And so you can see why in those circumstances, people often retreat to the to the elements where they feel most comfortable or they re- retreat to whatever their, uh, you know, their first instinct is in a lot of situations. And again, for, for, uh, uh, for Drew Dober, this wasn't a, a situation where he made like a huge error. He just like fucked up for a second. Yeah. A couple of seconds. And he, and it ended up costing him against Benil Dariush. I guess if you want to throw Tim Means in there, you could fault him for just like even getting into that kind of slug fest with Nico Price. Yeah. Cause but that, especially... that also is the kind of fight Tim Means likes. Like he yeah. thrives in that environment. So I don't know, man. I feel like we're we're kind of it's a little bit unfair to toss the dirty bird in there. Well, you know, and Nico Price kind of has a style where, especially you look at his record and you're like, 
in all these fights, if he doesn't lose, he's going to win. You know what I'm saying? If yeah. he doesn't get, if he doesn't fuck around and get like knocked out or submitted or something, the way he goes after you, if he doesn't lose, Chad, he's going to win. It's a, it's one way to go about it. Also, can you just imagine though, Tim Means? Like, imagine Tim Means. You last thing he remembers, he's doing really well. Yeah, the fight is going really well, and he's just like, "Oh yeah, I got this guy." And then the next thing you know, you're looking up at the lights. The people are standing over you, and they're going, "You know, hey, you got knocked out." And then you're going, "Why though? Does my leg hurt so Did I bad? Get hit in the leg in so hard places. I got knocked out." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, God, that's got to just be a terrible few moments of realizing things. Next uh, question this week comes to us from Michael Antonio, who writes, I know y'all like Junior too, but the Black Beast, Rothwell, the Barbarian Horde, and the Dirty Bird all lost on the same night. Have you guys ever had that many of your capital G guys lose on the same night before? And even so, how bad does it still sting? Discuss. You know what? I had not thought about this until we got this email, but this was... A rough night for the co-man event podcast guys. Okay, but how much of that is because we have amassed these guys over time. Yep. They've kind of been on the guy roster, the CME's capital G guy roster for a little while, which also means they've been in the game for a little while, Mm -hmm. which also means eventually your guys are going to kind of age out if you've been following this sport for a while. And they just all happen to be on the same card where maybe they're on the wrong side of the, the hill. We're all aging out at the same time. Maybe. It could be. Although, in fairness, I think Ben Rothwell won that fight. I do, too. We got a question coming up about uh, Blagoy Ivanov. But, like, yeah, that's a tough one for Rothwell, man. And you know what? I'm surprised all three judges scored yeah. 29-28. Because I think you can make an argument that Ben Rothwell won all three of those rounds. And I think that uh, uh, Blagoy Ivanov came, a- came away ahead in terms of, like, the overall actual numbers. But Rothwell was moving forward. Yeah, he was, he was taking the fight the to him the whole time, yeah. I really thought Ben Rothwell... And you know what was also interesting was Ben Rothwell having almost no reaction to losing that decision. He just sort of like... You could see that it bothered him, but he just sort of like turned away like, damn. He told us he had no feelings or emotions headed into this fight. Do you think that was part of the problem? Can, you, can we pause a moment, though, to appreciate... How Ben Rothwell is even going to be able to turn the Reebok hoodie into like a wizard cloak thing during his walkout. (laughs) They won't let the Dark Lord do all the things that he really would like to do. He's going to make the best of the situation, though, and I appreciate that. Do you think that that's like a size 5X? How do you think you'd go about that if you're Rothwell? I mean, they give you a hoodie and you're going, well, it's not quite a cloak. It's not. It's, it's not, not really what I cloak, what I choose, sure. but I'll I'll work with it. Um, yeah. Also, though, the Black Beast. He's one of those guys where I and I mentioned this in doing a video uh, after the event. But basically, I don't just feel like like he's kind of crafted one of those careers for himself. Where yeah, he'd he'd rather win, but it doesn't really significantly hurt the brand at this point. Yeah, people are still into my balls was hot. Yeah. Although it's possible that a verdict was rendered of sorts on Derek Lewis in this fight against Junior Dos Santos, which I think we'll talk about in, in, in round number one. But at the overall point, I think, stands Tim Boach loses, Tim Beans loses, Ben Roth. Is Ben Rothwell still one of our guys? He's always going to be one of my guys. Okay, wow. Can, it's like family. What can I do? IFL family. Yeah. For life. For life. Derek, loses, Derek Lewis loses. It was a rough night for Co-Main Event Podcast uh 
co-main event podcast guys. Maybe we're going to get to a point here where people don't want to be one of the co-main event podcast guys. Like there's a curse involved? Maybe they start to see the writing on the wall. They'll be like, no, thank you. Next question this week. Guy offer declined. Next question this week comes to us from Tom Hughes, who writes, Going into Saturday's fight, Blagoy Ivanov was 0-1 in the UFC. He was also their 15th ranked heavyweight. I know we shouldn't take their ranking seriously, but seriously? Please discourse. Is that true? Well, he was ranked. He he came into this fight on the on the uh, UFC's heavyweight rankings. He was 0-1. He lost a decision to Junior Dos Santos, which I, f- I feel like I remember that fight, and it was one where, where yeah, he lost, but I think we came away being like, okay, Blagoa Ivanov could, could do some things in this division. Moreover, like, isn't he, isn't he ranked based on his overall body of work? Like, not just in the UFC. It'd be like if, uh, you know, if Fedor had come to the UFC in his prime, he would have been ranked even if he had zero fights in the UFC. Not that Blagoa Ivanov is, is Fedor, but at the same time, uh, you know, fought in Bellator, long-time World Series of Fighting heavyweight champion, even before this fight, 16-2-1 overall. He does get this decision over Ben Rothwell, and it was a decision that I guess could have gone either way because it was kind of a close fight. It was kind of a, an odd heavyweight fight in some ways. He has a, in something of an odd fighting style, I think, uh, and I question whether or not his Cormier-esque size is really going to be good enough for him in this in the land of the Giants. I think the guy's like, you know, 5'11", 240, 250, something like that. But he's like he's in the rankings because of what he did before he came to the UFC, not necessarily his now one-and-one one record after defeating Ben Rothwell. We both know why he's in the rankings, and it's because of heavyweight. Because there ain't nobody else? Yeah, that's why he's in the rankings. Because they basically said, okay, every heavyweight lineup, you guys <laughs> yes. are in the rankings. Yeah. It's just a matter of what number you get. But that's what this is really about. That's what that really tells us, is that that's just how thin heavyweight is. Otherwise, yeah. I mean, you come into the UFC, you're 0-1, you, got, you still got the, the 15 ranking spot. It's just because they don't have anybody else to give it to you. Come on. No, I agree. All right, last question this week. I know we wanted to spend a couple minutes on this from Curtis Bouchard, who writes, Does Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos have the most under-the-radar seven-fight UFC win streak of all time? Yeah. Short answer, yes. Long answer, you told me you guys you guys were talking about this on the MMA Junkie yes. uh, radio show. What do you think that Eliza Zaleski Dos Santos can do to get himself on the radar? Yeah, we, we did this. We wrote it up for a, uh, a feature that we do where, like, three of us give our takes on one question like that. And we were basically like, what could he do? to maximize this stuff. Cause it does seem like on paper, it's impressive. And not only is he beating people, but he's, he's finishing people. And, and they're not nobodies either. He no beat Lyman. Good. He beat Omari Akhmedov. Who's the guy who smashed Tim Boach's nose. He beat Max Griffin. He beat Sean Strickland. Like, and then well, this, and you, you know, look, this past weekend, he beat Curtis Millinder. Who's kind of like a highly touted prospect. So like, it's not as though he's, he's one of these guys that, that is kind of lost in the, in the ether, so to speak, just fighting other mid-range welterweights. He's got some some named men on his on his list of right. wins. And if you look at the last three, especially the method of victory, you have like the most recent one, submission via rear naked choke, then knockout via flying knee and punches, then knockout via spinning wheel kick and punches. That should be exactly the kind of thing MMA fans go for. And yet 
you just can't even picture a scenario where somebody is going, no, man, I'm so excited for the next Elizu Zaleski-Dos Santos fight, man. Like, no. It's, it's too many names, for one thing. Yeah, you can't have four names. Nope. And two of those names already feel like they're taken. They, they just don't feel like they're specific to you. And it's just like, it's entirely forgettable. That guy needs a better nickname. You know what his nickname is right now? What's his nickname? Capoeira. No. As in just the art form. Like, not even like the Capoeira kid or something like that. So no, we talked about this do it. before we started recording the show. I went ahead and proffered that he should drop the Eliza Zaleski thing and just go by his initials. So his initials would be Easy Dos Santos. I'm so into that. Which I feel like that works. The other thing I'm going to say is you look at uh, Easy Dos Santos's facial hair situation. He can grow some. Okay. Right now he's kind of rocking the full beard situation. I think you got to shave. You got to have a big Fu Manchu mustache a la Wild Bill Hickok from Deadwood. Do something facial hair wise. So when people see you, they're like, oh, this guy, the guy with the sweet mustache or the giant sideburns or, you know, I, I think he waxes, Anthony Rocco Martin's like, got the sideburns thing. Taken. If, what, what if uh, Easy Dos Santos waxes and curls his mustache? Okay. So he has like kind of a uh, like, a vaudeville villain yeah. kind of thing going on. I'm into the kind of like and then he can do like the. Uh, the dude wipe that the, the New Yorker dude on Deadwood would do yes. after sipping some whiskey where you just run it along the edge of the mustache and it's super creepy. I mean, Easy Dos Santos out here with a vaudeville villain mustache, mm-hmm. let's say we're not going to forget about that guy. That guy's not going to slip under the radar. That's going to be somebody we remember one way or another. Also, it would be awesome if he pretended like he was related to Junior Dos Santos. Like in every interview, he was just kind of like, oh, yeah, Junior's my cousin. Like we came up together. We used to work out a lot together. I learned a lot from him. He's a big influence on me. And then Junior Dos Santos would be like, I don't know that guy. Yeah. What and is then, that about? And He'd be like, oh, yeah, Junior, he's my he, uncle. Uh, you know, he got me into the game. Yeah, he would just have to double down on it every single every time somebody would be like, Junior says he doesn't even know you. He'd be like, oh, that's Uncle Junior for Junior, you. He's messing with you. He made me my first heavy bag. <laughs> just spinning yarns. All right, that's going to do it for listener mail, I guess, this week. If you got questions, comments, concerns that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens. News always breaks. The newsletter itself is short. It's informative. We'd love to tell you it's funny. And if you don't like it, it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Ben Smart Money said somebody was going to get knocked out when Junior Dos Santos fought Derek Lewis in the main event of UFC Fight Night 146 this past Saturday in Wichita. Turned out it was Derek Lewis, a minute and 58 seconds into the second round. This was a crackerjack fight while it, while it lasted, and uh, both fighters here were rewarded with fight of the night bonuses at the end of it, so they got themselves an extra 50 Gs to stick in their pocket, With the, which, if you're Derek Lewis, maybe makes it seem like this was a little bit more worth it, because as we find out, after the fact, as is so often the case in this sport, maybe Derek Lewis was out there trying to fight Junior Dos Santos with a with at least one pretty messed up knee. Yeah. 
What do you make of that? That just that if you get an opportunity like this, you take it, your knee gets hurt, you feel like, you know what? I could still knock him out or you know what? I need this paycheck. What's going on there? Cuz I I don't know if I'd want to fight Junior Dos Santos if I was missing basically every ligament that makes the human knee work. I absolutely agree with you. That's a pretty tough uh assignment for Derek Lewis in a fight that even if he came into it 100% healthy, I don't necessarily know that he was going to be the favorite. I think you can dress it up a lot of different ways. First of all, anytime you have athletics, people are going to do possibly inadvisable things. I mean, if Ben Folks screwed up his knee before the hockey playoffs, but he could still skate, I got to think he would go out there and, and give it a whirl. Fun fact, Ben Folks screwed up his back before the hockey playoffs, and he's still out there doing the damn thing. Exactly. As I mean, he will be again tonight. And that's not even your life's work. That's not even what you're getting paid for. No. Like Derek Lewis is. So it's just plain dumb all around. And the sh- like, if you wanted to talk about the economics of the fight game, you could in this Derek Lewis, Junior Dos Santos fight, because it's very possible that Derek Lewis was faced with a situation. I thought that I read he hurt his knee, what, like a week ago? Like this just happened. Pretty late in his training camp, it seemed like this happened. It's very possible that Derek Lewis was faced with a situation where he was like, well, I can go out there and fight and get my money, or I can go to the doctor and get zero dollars for all of this uh, hard work that I've already done getting ready for Junior Dos Santos. And in a lot of instances, in mixed martial arts, guys don't really have the luxury of not getting that paycheck. Right. Because they're not making millions of dollars. So we can't know, really, without you know being deep into the life of Derek Lewis. What we do know is he went out there and fought Junior Dos Santos, apparently uh, suffering from some pretty significant knee issues. He made a, a, a good go of it for you know almost seven minutes. He ends up getting stopped by TKO. Uh, but the fight itself was enjoyable, and and like I said on Twitter this week, it was yet another fight, not that we necessarily want to overplay this line on this podcast, but it seemed like everybody got to do their stuff. Everybody did get to do their stuff. And, you know, credit to Derek Lewis for being as in that fight as he was, even after taking that that body kick yeah. that really, you could tell, kind of shut him down. It reminded me, you know, he almost had that moment like, uh, who is it, it was, uh, Sam Stout? It was Pete Sell and Pete. Scott Smith. Oh, okay. If you're That's talking it. about one guy yes. either got hurt, but he was playing possum a little bit. I think it was Scott Smith, right? Who was hurt. Like he was hands of stone. Yeah. Hands of steel. Okay. One of those. Uh, I think his family was in the steel business. I think uh, that's where it came from. Okay. Scott Smith. All right. Uh, yeah. He, he took that hard body shot and you could see him just fading away and then. Pete Sell. Pete Sell charging in after him for the finish, and he he summoned everything he had for one last punch, and it knocked him out. Which Derek Lewis, that's that's pretty much vintage Derek Lewis in this fight, kind of doing the same thing. Gets hurt by that body shot. Did it twice, in fact, although the first time he did it was the most effective, I believe. I don't know that Junior Dos Santos got really hurt by that punch, but at least it, it took him off his feet. Uh, yeah. Didn't really expect that to happen. So, yeah, everybody is, is doing their stuff in there. Uh... Like I talked about at the beginning of the show, though, Ben, are we reaching a situation where part of Derek Lewis's stuff is that if you hurt him and he gets in a bad spot, probably he's not coming back? I mean, he he gave it a good shot to come back, but it did seem like there are a few paths to victory that we know about against Derek Lewis at this point, right? Like... Body shots are a pretty good one. Travis Brown almost had him that way. I mean, there's one where you talk about if you hurt him, he's not coming back. 
He came back in that one. Uh, maybe as much due to tactical mistakes that Travis Brown made in that fight as, uh, you know, to Derek Lewis's own ability to battle back. But that was, you know, he he always has that in his back pocket that he can just throw that one big bomb. And if you get close enough, you're in trouble. But I also feel like, you know, we know Derek Lewis is probably not going to have the cardio to really push the pace on you for five whole rounds. You know he's not going to go out there and look to take you down, odds are. So he should be the kind of guy who the top-level heavyweights can beat just because of, like, predictability, the limited number of things that you have to worry about with him, the, the ways that you can that you have to kind of wear him down and make him less and less dangerous as the fight goes on. And yet he's also the kind of heavyweight where if you're the UFC, you need that guy around. Because yeah, he's, he's a fun guy to have around, and like he he can show up on one of these fight night cards and turn it in from like a bunch of crap nobody cares about into something worth watching. Yeah, you don't want Derek Lewis going somewhere else. No. You don't want his balls being hot on the Paramount Network, because people <laughs> will watch that if that's what uh, what's going to be live and free on the Paramount Network. Derek Lewis is 3-3 three and three in his last six fights. His wins are Marcin Tybura, Francis Ngannou in a fight that looks a lot more impressive on paper. Yes, it does. Than it was in practice. And Alexander Volkov. Where he was getting his ass kicked the whole time. He's what lost two in a row. One of those obviously to Daniel Cormier and now to Junior Dos Santos. So nothing to sneeze at. Guy's 34 years old. He's already tried to retire once. He essentially says he's going to keep coming back as long as, as long as the checks are good enough to keep him coming back. Is all of the kind of like faults of Derek Lewis that we have talked about, are all of those faults okay moving forward? Are, are we going to watch Derek Lewis no matter what all the time until he's done? I think we got to think about Derek Lewis like a heavyweight Nick Diaz, kind of, where he he's always a good time. He, does, he doesn't necessarily have to win in order to stay somebody that we care about. It'd be nice for him to pop up and win one every once in a while, but he's just fun. He's fun both as a personality and fighting style-wise. Like people are going to want to watch Derek Lewis fight. But then again, it's probably going to be in some fight night type situations from here on out. What do we think about Junior Dos Santos here? Obviously, we're going to talk about the lay of the land in the heavyweight division in round number two. He's got three wins in a row now, four of his last five. The loss in that is to Stipe Miocic at UFC 211. Uh, you know, Blago Ivanov tied to Ivasa and Derek Lewis are his last three, two stoppages now over to Ivasa and Lewis junior dos Santos is, is getting up there in, in years. He's in his mid thirties, which is not necessarily old for a UFC heavyweight, but still, you know, the tail end of somebody's athletic prime for a normal person. What can junior dos Santos still get done here? And are you willing to accept him among the elite UFC heavyweights? Yeah, I think he can still get a lot done, actually. And especially, he is a a fun fight for a lot of people. Like he's a guy who you can you can match him up with a lot of different people and see how like he can produce an exciting fight. And already, you know, we talked about the potential a little bit before, and it got brought up immediately after he beat Derek Lewis, where people were like, "All right, how about Junior Dos Santos versus Francis Ngannou?" Yeah, and you're like, "Well, that sounds like a stone cold banger right there." Yes, it does. That's the kind of thing, and. You know, if he goes out there, imagine Junior Dos Santos goes out there and pieces up Francis Ngannou. And, like, I mean, you, you seem like you're having a hard time imagining it. I don't have your- a hard time imagining it. Clearly, in that fight, anybody could win because yes. we know what's going to happen. I feel like if the version of Junior Dos Santos that showed up to fight Derek Lewis shows up to fight a motivated and right in the head and right physically Francis Ngannou, he would probably lose. Just because I think it's a stylistic matchup that 
ever so slightly favors Ngannou. Because Dos Santos will get punched. And if you get yeah. punched by Francis Ngannou... You die. That's not good. Yeah. Well, so imagine that situation, right? Where he goes out there and he beats a guy like Francis Ngannou. Then... How do you look at Junior Dos Santos and be like, no, you don't deserve another crack at the title? Right. Like, he kind of forces the issue there with something like that. And I don't know. I mean, I think, like, we were kind of ready to write off Junior Dos Santos as ever being involved in that level of the heavyweight division anymore. And now it seems like he's just step-by-step creeping back in. No, I agree. And I think he's especially viable if the heavyweight champion is, you know, someone that he's either hasn't fought before, like Daniel Cormier or John Jones or Brock Lesnar or someone that he's one and one against. Yeah. Like Stipe Miocic. We are going to talk about all of that coming up in round number two. First, though, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? Ben, you know that the co-main event podcast appreciates a presence in the sport like Sarah Kaufman. Yep. We like a smart sometimes wisecracking Canadian who's going to give it to us straight. We do. I believe Sarah Kaufman may be charting new territory when it comes to promoting a fight here as she goes into the women's lightweight tournament of PFL. I believe she's talking to Mark Raimondi here from MMA Fighting where she says, this is tailor-made for Kayla Harrison for sure, speaking about the tournament, but I'm a party pooper. She's going to poop on the party over there in PFL lightweight tournament. Are you fucking kidding me? Maybe the first time an MMA event has ever been promoted by one of the particulars saying that they're going to be a party pooper, but I couldn't be more into it. Also, maybe not the first time Sarah Kaufman has been described by herself or others as a party pooper. I could see that. Yeah. I could see that being the case. Fucking kidding me? She's going to be the party pooper over there in PFL. I love it. Chad... Uh, my, are you fucking kidding me? I am going to show you a picture here of, this is a screenshot from the moment that Yana Kunitskaya was announced as the decision winner over Marion Renault. It's always, uh, here is a, the face of the winner. Good podcast stuff when we're looking at pictures. That's right. But yeah, she, uh, she's wearing it as John Anik would say. Her nose has a significant dent in it. Yep. Also seems to be like. That, you know that sign that they put up there to indicate a curvy road is ahead? <laughs> it looks like that sign. Yep. Uh, eye all bruised, blood all over. And that's the moment when she was being announced the winner. Uh, then you go over and you look at Marion Renault's face when okay, she hears that Yana Kunitskaya <laughs> is announced the winner. Are you fucking kidding me? A little side eye there. You can really, you can really feel it. You know, you can, it's just... Everybody's emotions are plainly right there on their face, right there in that moment, and it's kind of wonderful. That if if you could describe the expression that Marianne Renault is is making right there, it's "Are you fucking kidding me?" Fucking kidding me. That's gonna do it for round number one. We'll be right back. Round number two. Jen, here's the current situation at heavyweight. All at once, you got a bunch of contenders, potential contenders, all popping their heads up. You got Junior Dos Santos on a three-fight win streak. Francis Ngannou, two straight uh, TKO victories, including the one over Cain Velasquez, which, you know, a little iffy, but still, you know, it's it's not too bad. Uh, You got uh, 
guy like Alistair Overeem, who has somebody like Alexander Vol- Volkanovsky up next. He wins that fight. Maybe he gets himself back in that conversation, too. All this stuff kind of going on. Meanwhile, Stipe Miocic still out here trying to get something on the books. Uh-huh. Let's just get it on the books. Trying to make it official with Daniel Cormier. And everybody knows, man, ain't nothing happening with the title until we find out whether Brock Lesnar is actually going to come back and fight Daniel Cormier. Because yeah. that is the payday everybody is waiting on. Nobody is going to do anything until they know for sure, you know, either that fight will or won't happen. And so it's we're all kind of in a holding pattern there at heavyweight. And maybe it's not the worst thing in the world because you do have a bunch of people who are making little step-by-step claims to being the top contender at heavyweight, but nobody is all the way necessarily there just yet. Yeah. Uh, and yet I was watching the post-fight show after this, the UFC event in Wichita, and Junior Dos Santos was asked, you know, who do you think should be next for the title? And he said, for sure, not Brock Lesnar. And then he laid out like his reasoning why, and it included him basically saying like, this guy doesn't even do this sport. (laughs) And like, yeah, hey, I want to see him fight. It would be fun. It's fun to have him around, but like to have him come back and fight for the title, it doesn't make sense. And the whole time he's talking, I'm sitting there, I'm nodding my head. I'm like, you're 100% right, Junior. And yet you know that's what's going to happen anyway. Like everybody knows this is stupid but also, it's the kind of stupid we want to watch, I guess. Yeah, especially considering the situation that Daniel Cormier is in, where he's, you know, he's extended his retirement deadline a little bit, but we know that he's not going to be sticking around forever. And what Daniel Cormier wants, and arguably what Daniel Cormier deserves, is some money. And Brock Lesnar would be that fight, we think, to get get Daniel Cormier some money, to get everybody some money. It's everybody like the wants their money. Is like conspiring to like get Daniel Cormier paid. Like let's yeah. all get in on this. Yeah, it's like he's like the new T.J. Dillashaw. That's <laughs> what Daniel Cormier deserves. We just start like a GoFundMe instead. I mean, I guess in 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 defense of that fight, not that I think that there's a great defense of it. Given the list that you just mentioned, and frankly, I was surprised a little bit that you would include Alistair Overeem on that list. It would seem that if Alistair Overeem tumbles, you know, ass over tea kettle into a heavyweight title fight next, we are into like a sole survivor type situation. Like Alistair Overeem was the sole survivor and all of the other UFC heavyweights died in a, of the plague or something. Uh, but, you know, you, you lay out that list and it's, the one thing that is clear is that maybe there is not one clear cut number one contender. And so maybe if you wanted to make a case for the return of Brock Lesnar and a fight like DC versus Brock Lesnar. That's what you would have to say. And, but I mean, that also assumes that you're going to get it done pretty quickly. Cause if you don't, well, then you might have a problem. Yeah. Well, it also brings me to the situation of Stipe Miocic. Yeah. Because all this stuff has happened since basically he lost the title. Like Francis Ngannou has won his two fights since then. Junior Dos Santos has won three fights since then. And meanwhile, Steve has been out here on Twitter, like just trying to get make it official. And you know it's not going to work, man. You're not you, getting that one. You're not. Not unless, like, they tell him, Daniel Cormier, we have some sad news. Brock Lesnar has died. He was on a hunting trip and a bear ate him. <laughs> That'd be a big-ass bear. Then, uh, then Don't Daniel, worry, Alistair Overeem is the sole survivor. <laughs> then Daniel Cormier would be like, all right, what's Stipe up to? Maybe we should put something on the books. Yeah. But other than that, you're not getting that one. And while I totally agree with him that it is some bullshit 
for him to be to like set the record for the most consecutive heavyweight title defenses and then as soon as he lost it he was still standing there in the cage and, and they already had Brock Lesnar in there they were already moving on yeah. and then in the in the kind of meantime had uh Daniel Cormier fight Derek Lewis just because like hey Oh, I want to do something, and he's not going to lose that one. So that felt safe. And meanwhile, the whole time, Stipe's going like, what about me? Did What deserves an instant rematch if not setting the record for title defenses? And everybody's going, yeah, you know, we agree that you are kind of getting screwed here. But at a certain point, don't you have to jump up and fight somebody just to keep people from forgetting about you? Well, to make a devil's advocate case, Stipe Miocic did get knocked out by Daniel Cormier. So it's not totally indefensible that they wouldn't set him up with what it would essentially for him be an immediate rematch. I could see them making the case for him needing to get one or two wins before he falls back into a title fight. If you're Stipe Miocic, you are in a tough spot. And it does suck that, like I said at the beginning of the show, it seems like a year or two ago, we were all making the case that maybe Stipe Miocic is the greatest UFC heavyweight of all time. Suddenly, he's not even, like, in the conversation for who gets the next title shot. We're talking about the winner of Francis Ngannou Jr. Dos Santos, which is a totally mythical fight at this point. We're talking about Alistair Overeem. We're talking about John Jones. We're talking about Brock Lesnar. Steve Miocic seems like kind of an afterthought at this point. Uh, and, you know, he did get knocked out, but essentially, like, not for lack of trying that, that he wants to get himself back into that fight with Daniel Cormier. If you're Steve Miocic, I think what you need to do is understand that you're not getting that fight, for starters. You're saying the first step is acceptance? (laughs) The first step is acceptance. Okay. And then you need to find yourself a different fight. And this is a little bit out of character for Stipe Miocic, who was always kind of like a low-key guy, not necessarily the biggest shit-talker in the world. But in this instance, I feel like he would be best served to do two things. Number one, start talking some shit about Junior Dos Santos. See if you can cut Francis Ngannou off of the pass. Be like, look, man, I already beat Francis Ngannou from pillar to post. That fight was not close. I destroyed him. Like, now you're going to set him and Junior Dos Santos up for a number one contender fight? How about me and Junior Dos Santos have a rubber match? Because we're one and one, one against each other. That makes the most sense. If that doesn't work, and I'm Steve Miocic, I start talking a raft of shit about a guy named John Bones Jones. <laughs> okay. All right. Because like you want a you want a big payday if you're Stepe and you think that they're gonna do, do DC Brock Lesnar, you think that they're gonna do Engano versus JDS. You don't want to get left out in the cold. There, that's your opportunity, man. That's what you do. Hey Johnny, come on up here, and I'll send you running back down to 205. Let's do it. Let's let's get this on the books. Okay. See, but you've kind of inadvertently touched on one of the flaws. In this plan, well, there's the two flaws that Steve Miocic is never going to do that. That's the, the flaw. The flaw is that he just he does not have that kind of personality, right? And that's the well, problem. He needs to get a manager. Then he needs to get Easy Dos Jimmy Santos Hart? out can we, here. Can we get Jimmy Hart twirling his mustache and talking about how Steve Miocic would uh, knock John Jones's teeth into the second row? If only he had a manager who wore a sport coat that had Steve's picture airbrushed yeah, on the back, yeah, and carried around a megaphone. Uh, that is also, though, the problem with being the the ex-champion who is not fighting at a very active time in the heavyweight division, is it leaves you trying to make your case on Twitter or in interviews, and he just does not have that. That's not where he excels right. in those areas. 
Uh, the other flaw in that plan, though, is any situation that begins with, I know what I'll do, I'll talk a bunch of shit to Junior Dos Santos, that's, you're, you don't even want to do that. Nobody right. wants to talk a bunch of shit to Junior Dos Santos because everybody loves Junior Dos well, Santos. Well, that's a guy you could just get it on the books with. Let's See, just get it on the books. Junior. Yeah, okay. We'll have a very affable time, and then at the end of it, we'll fight. Yeah. That, I think John Jones is the play, though, for Stipe Miocic. I would watch the shit out of John Jones versus Stipe Miocic. Everybody would. And if I'm just going to lay it out there. If Stipe needs us to write him some material, get at us. Hit us up. We could, we'll, we'll provide our services at a very reasonable rate. I feel like the John Jones material writes itself. What you need is delivery. That's true. That's true. Uh, well, what would you do if you had to pick any of these guys? Would it be the, I, I guess if you're talking about real world stuff, it doesn't matter what we want. Cause they're probably going to do Brock Lesnar if he's around, but it would be hard to turn your nose up at a Francis Ngannou Jr. Dos Santos winner. At this yeah, point. it really would be. And you're, you're also right though, that, uh, style wise, that one seems to lean Francis Ngannou. And then, you know. If you told Daniel Cormier, like, hey, you've, you beat Brock Lesnar, you got a good payday out of it, do you think you could stretch it a little bit more and give us a fight between you and Francis Ngannou? That's one matchup-wise that he looks at and says, yeah, okay. Yeah, but the, that yeah that's true. He like Considering what we saw against Miocic, that might be a, a good matchup for DC. However, there's all that stuff. There's all that uh, embedded stuff back when DC was fighting at light heavyweight of him and Francis Ngannou riding in the same van where he was basically like, I would never want to fight this man. Look how much bigger his fists are than my fists kind of doing the affable DC thing. I'm sure he would find it in his heart to go back on his word if there was a paycheck involved. But uh, I mean, there's some material to work from there also. Yeah. Anyway, we got uh Sir Nigel Longstock here. It's been a while since we were able to check in with him. We're going to play a little master tweet theater that starts right now. What's that time again? We welcome back friend of the podcast and noted theatricalist, Sir Nigel Longstock. Sir Nigel, how are you? Good day to you, sirs. I am fresh from a massage. A massage, you say? Yes, I'll have you know I fell asleep on the bus, and when I woke up, a strange man, presumably a fan, was massaging me. Okay. So that's just a day in the life, huh? I'm very popular, sir. Could you be more specific? Yes, yes. It was on the number 12 bus. <laughs> I know the 12. Yeah. Yes, good bus. Good people on that bus. Yeah, yeah, they really are. So it's been a while. Indeed. Since, since we've heard from you. I assume in your off time, you've been just meticulously amassing tweets. Yes, sir. I have created a perfect snapshot of our era. And by our era, I mean the February 15th region. Okay. All right. Uh, I assume you have a theme for us? I do, sir. The theme is personal hygiene. Okay. Personal hygiene. Tweets about hygiene that often become intensely personal. Okay. This feels like kind of fertile ground for MMA Twitter, now that I think about it. My over-under is two tweets. We'll see how far we make it. (laughs) All right. I will have you know, sirs, that four of the five tweets in this week's episode are sort of conversation with one another. They all come together. Wow. Okay. Exactly. Either this is really an ambitious undertaking or this 
was the laziest way Sir Nigel could go about <laughs> finding all these tweets. Either the best or worst master tweet theater of all time. Don't make me choose. Let us begin. This episode of Master Tweet Theater is brought to you by Whimsical Mouse Region, the affordable family amusement park just up the street from Disneyland. Why waste thousands of dollars on branded entertainment when there's an economical alternative right next door? Your family will meet Michael Mouse and explore the magic constitutional mon- Monarchy. From the spooky halls of the haunted duplex to the dizzying heights of Splash Mountain Side Rest Area, any resemblance to family fun will not be coincidental. Listeners of this podcast can get 20% off admission when they use the code Lord Norgel. Hmm. Well, it looks like they got my name wrong there, but I assume I'll get the money anyway. <laughs> you know, I don't. Do you just get like unsolicited emails? Or like constantly, sir. is this? Are you reaching out actively, like courting these sponsors? Well, you know, I have an agent, and I think that eventually he will be found, and at that time, I will give him five percent of all my earnings. Okay, I bet he's on the number twelve bus. Yeah, it's probable. It's a lot of good people on that bus. Hmm. Do you remember the theme, sirs? Is it personal hygiene? It is. It is. Let us begin with tweet the first. Um, I'm going to clarify something. In this tweet, the tweeter in question refers to a he, and the he in question is Robert Whitaker. Robert Knuckles. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you know. Okay. Tweet the first. He just didn't want to fight at Kevin Gastelum with that shit on his lip and the spider bite on his neck. Crying emoji. Shrug emoji? Okay. The... This is referring to Kelvin Gast the shit on Kelvin Gastelum's neck. Right, right. Right. The staff infection stuff. Yes. Okay, so we're trying to figure out who made this observation that could have been made by just kinda any old MMA Twitter account. Yes. Not even have to be a fighter at all. Just a fan. I mean I'm sure I saw this observation multiple times. The question is, who are we talking about here? Yeah. Uh I remember that Connor McGregor had a had some shit to say, so I'm just going to say Conor McGregor. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I'm going to say Matt Mitrione because hmm, he already said Conor McGregor. Both fine guesses, both liable to weigh in, and both wrong. It is Platinum Mike Perry oh. weighing in with his opinion. Okay. Hmm. That does feel like a Platinum Mike Perry now that I hear it. I guess it does. Hmm. The wisdom of hindsight, sirs. Tweet the second is a response to Platinum Mike Perry. Okay, okay. Why is that worm holding the 185-pound belt? There are worms crawling on his skin. It was absolutely ludicrous to even consider allowing him to compete, let alone now walk around the arena shaking our fans' hands. Someone sort this this instant and sterilize that belt immediately. Now see, that's Conor McGregor. That was pretty lengthy. That's it, Conor McGregor. It is. It is <laughs> Conor McGregor using all 240 characters. <laughs> Was it sort this? Is that what tipped it off? The Britishism? I remember the tweet from when I saw it. But so also Con- sort that, this. Is that, a- that was in response. So Conor McGregor is out here replying to Mike Perry's tweets? Trying to stay relevant. Indeed, sir. Man, that's... Also... Staff, right? Not you don't get, have worms involved in a staff infection, correct? Am not, I wrong? Not normally, no. I'm no doctor. I mean, I have had worms, but hmm. let's move on. If there's a time for a social media intervention, it's when you're replying to Mike Perry tweets. I think that's absolutely that's true. Just, 
Okay. Unless you are his enraged girlfriend, then it's appropriate. Fiance, I believe. Oh, that last. <laughs> Tweet the third. Shut up, you hoe! At Kevin Gastelum will absolutely kill you, fucking quitter. Whoa. In response to Conor McGregor, I so, might add. so it's and he's telling Conor McGregor that Kel- Kelvin Gastelum will, will kill him. Yes, and that he is a hoe. H O E, I might add. I'm gonna go Nate Diaz there. And it does does have a Nate Diaz feel. Uh, I'm gonna go Derek Lewis. Whoa, really? He likes to call people hoes. Conor McGregor, though. Maybe. In defense of Kelvin Gastelum? That would create a, a web, a network of relationships. Maybe that's just the world I want to live in. Maybe so. Both fine guesses, both liable to shut up a hoe, and both wrong, and it's Ali Abdelaziz. Oh, oh god damn it. That makes sense. Be taking some time off from feeding people at the soup kitchen to shut up a hoe. <laughs> Man. Now, now we got to start thinking about Ali Abdelaziz in Master Tweet Theater. It's only because he was on the thread. The one thread that Sir Nigel read to make this. Okay. I assure you, I will not make a habit of it. Uh, are we still... Was that a, in personal hygiene? Well, the whole tweet is really about who's got worms, who has shit on his... You head. had... You had you put two tweets? Yeah, it was over-under the... was two, so... Okay. It was right there. <laughs> it's a push. No one wins. <clears throat> tweet the fourth. Well, my bosses have been good to me. I recognize that they have invested a lot in me. They've allowed the opportunity to chase my dreams. While I grew up with major mishaps in the public eye, I want a shot to repay them with a dominant title run of anyone at any time, whenever necessary. Wow. That got... Are you checking the levels? You seem concerned about... I mean, what that, there's a, let's Michaels. just say there's a lot of uh, different stuff happening there. A little bit of redlining. <laughs> different Sorry, different levels. It's my dynamic range. It's a, there's a large dynamic range happening. What ha- personal hygiene? I don't feel was mentioned there at all. No, same conversation though. Replying to all this of is these still the gentlemen. same conversation. Yes, weighing in. Okay, wait. Can we hear this one again? Yes. <clears throat> Maybe can you give us a different spin this time so we don't just completely freak everybody out? You know, I'll start at one. So okay. I don't have to go all right. To Twelve. I appreciate that. While my bosses have been good to me. I recognize they have invested a lot in me. They've allowed the opportunity to chase my dreams. While I grew up with major mishaps in the public eye, I want a shot to repay them with a dominant title run of anyone, anytime, whenever necessary. Is that Kelvin Gastelum himself? Is that Kelvin Gastelum himself? It is Kelvin Gastelum himself with an extremely formal response to being accused of having worms and shit. Yeah, it didn't seem like he really addressed the core issue. Yes, he should have been like, yes, Ali, I will kill a hoe. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Good for us. Are you ready for a tweet the fifth? The wild card tweet? I've never been more ready. Indeed. the last tweet. I won't make you do what you wanna or feel bad for doing so much. First of all, I hesitate to even think how this might be connected to personal hygiene. Second of all, what? What indeed, sir? Would you like to hear it again? Yeah. (laughs) I won't make you do what you want to or feel bad for doing so much. I won't make you do what you want to or feel bad for doing so much. Poet Philip Brony. Is that... Israel Adesanya? Both fine guesses, only one correct. It is the poet Philip Baroni. Wait. 
in the Boom. same thread? In, no, no, just just talking shit. Okay, so we changed, we switched gears. Yeah, he said four said of the, the five were going to be in the thread, and he said Jesus, the wild one card. didn't pay attention to that part. Oh, See, and now man. you feel like an idiot. God damn it. You snooze, you fall behind, <laughs> sir. <clears throat> Was I don't... You know so what? that the last one had nothing to do with personal hygiene. No, none at all. Okay, I mean, just don't don't let Phil Baroni make you do what you wanna if you care about your personal hygiene. But otherwise, no, tenuously connected. Well, this is this was a disaster. <laughs> that was really that was really something. But I guess that about wraps it up. What else you got going on, Sir Nigel? You know, it's funny you should ask, sir. I've just finished work on an exciting project about two Boston detectives who investigate the kidnapping of a little girl, only to fall under suspicion in the disappearance of their own wives. I see. And what's it called? It's called Gone Baby Gone Girl. And what role do you play? I play a Southie goon. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was Sir Nigel Longstock, and that was Master Treat Theater. Thank you, sir. Roll out of UFC Fight Night 146, an event headlined by Junior Dos Santos versus Derek Lewis, and then a lot of other stuff. And this weekend, March 16th, we head into UFC Fight Night 147, aka UFC on ESPN Plus 5, aka UFC Fight Night Till versus Masvidal. This one going down over there at the O2 Arena in London, England. Headlined by Darren Till versus Jorge Masvidal, Leon Edwards against Gunnar Nelson, Vulcan Uzdemir against Dominic Reyes, and then some other stuff. Some other stuff. On this card. Uh, pros and cons here, I think we've discovered, of, of the ESPN Plus events. One of the big pros, the pacing seems to be pretty good. Yeah. They get you in and out of this thing uh, in a time frame that makes those FS1 events just kind of feel like a bad dream. Yeah, this one... Uh, what the last one started around 3 p.m. I believe here in the one true time zone was done before 9 p.m. Like done before 11 o'clock Eastern time, which shouldn't be that amazing. That should be when you should try to wrap up your live sporting event, I would think. But uh, getting right to the fights, uh, not a whole lot of filler is the kind of thing I will pay for. Yeah, especially when you have the very recent counterexample of how those things can go on uh, Fox Sports. Like, that's the one thing I think ESPN is really going to benefit from because people will be like, oh, holy shit, you're not just going to abuse my attention span with the same uh, spammy commercials over and over again? Take my money. Some cons include the fact that you got to have your ear pretty close to the ground to even know about these things. I guess if you're frequenting MMA media websites, you find out about them. Uh, I would also include, and this is a thing I keep kind of thinking about on and off, but aside from the occasional press release from ESPN declaring how many subscribers they have over on ESPN Plus, uh, we have no metrics whatsoever to even tell us if anybody at all is watching Darren Till versus Jorge Masvidal yeah. or if it's just Ben Folks and the Black Void. Oh, we, wow. We have no idea like who is who's taking this in, who's ignoring it, who's sitting down for the whole thing. Just no metrics for success or failure of this deal. Right, which, as you'll recall, became a major focus of stories after, like, our, at the tail end of the, the UFC on Fox deal. After each, like, network event, it became a thing. Like, all right, 
let's see how far this downward trending line is dipping. Right. And you'll notice when the when ESPN does send out those press releases, the comparisons they like to draw are comparing, you know, not their UFC broadcasts necessarily to the larger sports landscape, but to UFC broadcasts in like of the, the last two years, like basically the the tanking Fox rankings. And so it's like, all right, yeah, shouldn't be too hard for you to beat those. Like you, you ought to be looking good in comparison to those. But you're right. At least then you can create this kind of in the, the echo chamber of the MMA bubble. You can create the idea that, hey, yeah, people are watching these. It's going great. Everybody's super happy with it. Uh, and, you know, for the people who are willing to pay five bucks a month just on the promise of seeing UFC Fight Night London, that that probably feels true to them because they're there. You know, like we're interested. So, yeah, why wouldn't other people be interested? Darren Till versus Jorge Masvidal is a fight that we probably watch in a vacuum considering these two guys and their fighting styles. Darren Till still trying to bounce back from that loss to Tyron Woodley in a welterweight uh, championship bout that after we saw it, maybe felt like they rushed Darren Till into it a little bit. Jorge Masvidal has lost two in a row, so he's looking to get off the schneid. Uh, a couple of guys here that are, that are strike first and ask questions later sort of fellas. Uh, I'm not sure if there are odds on this or if we if we have those handy, but how do you see this matching up, Darren Till, Jorge Masvidal, in a fight that I think, uh, hell, man, one of the only reasons to have it is that it seems like it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah. What do you think, say you're Jorge Masvidal in this fight. Yeah. And, you know, you're lined up here against Darren Till. He's out there already trying to pick his next fight with uh, Leon Edwards or whatever, and you're just looking for the Wi-Fi code. And it does kind of seem like Jorge Masvidal has settled into this role in his career, like just like, all right, just tell me what time I need to be there, and uh, I'll show up there and see about whipping somebody's ass. How do you go at Darren Till here? Do you think, like, you know what? I'm going over there in London. People are going to want to see two guys standing and banging, throwing it out there. Or are you like, you know what? Let's... uh. Let's press this guy up against the fence for a few rounds, take a little bit of the starch out of the youngster, yeah. and then go to work. I don't know. There's definitely two different avenues there. And for Jorge Masvidal, uh, I don't even know if you need to be mindful about career preservation or get, yeah. or getting you know avoiding a third loss in a row. He would be 3-3 three and three in his last six. Clearly, he had that uh, kind of charmed run where he beat Ross Pearson, Jake Ellenberger, and Donald Zeroni. Since then, he's lost to Damian Maia and Steven Thompson. Uh Jorge Masvidal is one of these dudes where you probably don't cut him. Like, you probably don't want Jorge Masvidal to hit the streets because you know he's got Scotty Coke's number in his phone. Yeah. Because those guys have done business in the past. He's going to be an alternate for that Bellator tournament before you know it. Yeah, he could get himself in some interesting fights over in Bellator. So, like, if you're Jorge Masvidal, you could clearly approach it in those two different ways. Like, do you really, really need to get the win? Or do you want to go on being Jorge Masvidal? And that is the guy that, like I said, we will watch, even though it doesn't necessarily seem like He's knocking on the door of a title shot. He's not even necessarily knocking on the door of contendership. He's a fun guy to watch. Uh, he's really easy to like. It seems like he has a good attitude. His deadpan about the Wi-Fi code was dope. Uh, everybody who knows the guy says that that uh, he's he's a good guy, easy to like. So, yeah, man. Like, if you're Jorge Masvidal, I think you can kind of do whatever you want. Because I don't necessarily know... If it matters all that much, if you if you, I mean, if you beat Darren Till, that's a nice feather for your cap. If you lose, you're still in the game, man. But you're, you're still on the board. If you're Darren Till, though, don't you feel like you got to win? Yes. Because you know, not only UFC's coming to London and you're star of the show there, but also 
you know, Darren Till had a really quick rise and he was out there cutting promos for yeah. why everybody in the world is going to watch a UFC in Liverpool and shit like that. And it was like, all right, here's a guy with good personality, a fun fighting style, big guy for the division. And then, you know, you have that loss to Tyron Woodley where it seems pretty one-sided and you're like, okay, well, maybe he wasn't, he just wasn't ready for that level of competition yet. If you go and you lose the very next one to, to kind of a, a bit of a journeyman in uh, Jorge Masvidal, then does it start to seem like maybe you were a little flash in the panty? Well, yeah, or if you're flash trying in to the pan-ish, flash in the pan style esque, flash in the pan esque. Yeah, <laughs> if you're trying to set yourself up as the new Michael Bisping or the English answer to Conor McGregor, then yeah, if you're Darren Till, you probably need to beat Jorge Masvidal, or we're going to start asking some different questions about you. I mean, he did beat the Cowboy and Stephen Thompson right before that fight against Tyron Woodley, so we do have reason to suspect that Darren Till uh, is what he says he is, despite the fact that he's only 26 years old. And as you said, had a fairly meteoric rise to the, to the point that he is at now. Uh, but you do want to, you do want to beat Jorge Masvidal. Then again, like a Jorge Masvidal is a tough fight for anybody. Like that, that could be a, a, a long day for just about anybody in that division. So uh, all is probably not lost. If you're Darren Till, if you, if you catch, catch another defeat here. But at the same time, this would be a great time for Darren Till uh, to do something kind of special and get himself back in the win column and perhaps get a highlight out of it at the same time. You know, it's kind of a uh, sneaky, good, and also maybe important fight on here. Kind of flying under the radar a little bit. Your guy, Vulcan Ozdemir, Secret of the Ooze. Yeah. Going up against undefeated Dominic Reyes. Yeah. And, you know, you've got those top three fights that are sort of like headlining this card. And then, like we said, it's a lot of other stuff, especially for Dominic Reyes, who, you know, he's coming off that win over Ovin St. Pru at UFC 229. He's 10-0 overall. It would be a pretty big win for him to take out Volkan Uzdemir since Volkan Uzdemir has been something of a litmus test guy uh, in this division for his last couple of of fights. Uh, you know, boosting Anthony Smith up there to a title shot. Losing to Daniel Cormier, obviously, in a title shot at UFC 220. So, yeah, man, this is one where, again, like if you're Dominic Reyes and you want to solidify to us that you are who we think you are, this would be a good one for you to win. And a good test also, I guess, against Volkan Uzdemir. Yeah. Uh, it, the best case scenario here, right, is Darren Till and Leon Edwards both get a win. Then we can do another one. We can do another fight night event. In England and UFC Newcastle, Darren Till and Leon Edwards can fight each other. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good time. You got Gunnar Nelson though against Leon Edwards, who's a guy who's uh, he could be a problem. You know, he had that loss <laughs> yeah. to Santiago Ponza Nibio in July of 2017, but bounced back with the win over Alex Oliveira, and still seems like a guy who's very much uh, alive in this division. Uh, even though he's 30 now, there was a time when Gunnar Nelson was the young gun. I don't know if that necessarily applies all that much anymore, but like, not necessarily a walkthrough for Leon Edwards for sure. No, that that dude's gonna be a tough out for just about anybody. You want to do just saying stuff? You know, and I we'll do. We'll get out of here for this week. All right, Ben, what's your just saying stuff? Well, Chad, I don't know if you saw this, but after Anthony Rocco Martin, a Rocco Martin, goes out there and gets his decision win over Sergio Moraes, then okay, I kind of see what he's thinking when he's on the mic. He's in Kansas. He's in Wichita, Kansas. Okay. He just beat Brazilian fighter Sergio Moraes. Uh, and then he says, it's clearly something that he has planned to say because he kind of calls John, Ag- John Anik back so he can say one more thing. Hey, Toto, I don't think we're in Brazil anymore. 
not. It's uh, that's see. Here's what I'm just saying. A couple more workshops. Yeah, exactly, Chad. Exactly. Could have worked our way through that a little bit more. Maybe got somewhere else. What do you say? You and I, we start a side business, CME Consulting Group. Okay, yeah. And the yes. thing is, if you are a fighter and you think you have something, you've got a great idea for a funny or clever thing that you're going to say on the mic after you win your upcoming fight. You're sitting around in the hotel room on Friday night. You're working it through. But you're like, you know what? We need some outside input on this. We need some fresh eyes on this idea. Yeah. That's when you Venmo the CME Consulting Group about 40 bucks. Then you, you text us your idea, and then we get back to you to basically just say, no, don't do that. It's dumb. Uh, yeah. No, I like that idea. We're already out here. Uh, we're solving problems for Easy Dos Santos. Yeah, we're kind of giving it away there. We're, we're telling Steve Miocic what would be a good thing to do. Rocco Martin should have got with us, man. He would have been like, hey, I got this zinger that I want to lay out for you. And we'd be like, nope. And we would have been like, okay, first of all, it doesn't make any goddamn sense. <laughs> Your first problem is that it makes no sense. Your second problem is that it's dumb. Just saying. That'll be $40. <laughs> Venmo only. No Bitcoin. I won't even try to come up in here with some Bitcoin bullshit. No, what is this? Uh, whatever that fighting bet website, Bovada. Yes. What is this, Bovada? This ain't Bovada, man. No. Just ben, saying. Just saying. You'll recall that when Israel Adesanya debuted in the UFC, people tried to compare him to John Jones. Okay. And then you'll recall that he just fought Anderson Silva. People have been sort of kind of trying to compare him to Anderson Silva. Okay. Now it seems like he might sort of be a draw for the UFC. There might be some money involved with putting Israel Adesanya on a card. He might put some butts in seats. People are trying to compare him to Conor McGregor. Hmm. And Israel Adesanya, in turn, has to respond to all of these comparisons. And pretty much every time is like, "Um, that guy's really good. I don't know that I'm exactly like that guy. Maybe I should just be Israel Adesanya. I'm just saying, I think we should stop trying to compare Israel Adesanya to other people. It just hasn't worked out for us yet. You're saying maybe he's not the next Anderson Silva. Maybe he's the first Israel Adesanya. Wouldn't that be something? I'm just saying. There's an idea we'll sell you for 40 bucks. That works. That's going to do it for this week's Coming Event Podcast. We'll be back next week. We'll tell you about the stuff that happens on UFC on ESPN Plus 5. We may sure. even start to look ahead to UFC on ESPN Plus 6, a.k.a. UFC Fight Night 148, a.k.a. UFC Fight Night Stephen Thompson versus Anthony Pettis. That goes down March 23rd at the Bridgestone Arena in Nashville, Tennessee. Catch us on Wednesday for the live chat, a new episode of Road Agents. Catch us on Friday for uh, the Power Hour. Make sure we have your shipping addresses if you are getting down with the Patreon, or else we cannot send you your stuff. Patreon.com slash co-main event. As for right now, we are done, we are through, we are out. And one thing about the CME Consulting Group is we're going to have to have it written into our contract with fighters that sometimes... Even when we know an idea that you're proposing is dumb, we might tell you to go ahead with it anyway. Depends on how funny it is. Yeah, just, like, just for our own enjoyment. Sometimes we're going to be like, it's worth us having to refund your $40 just to hear you be like Paul Buentello and try to think everybody knows your catchphrase. Nobody's ever heard of it. We ought to have some kind of a we gotta see this shit clause in the contract. <laughs> yeah. Where it's like, if it's such a bad idea, we might say yes, because we gotta see this shit. Yeah. If that's the case, maybe we're going to keep some of the money. I don't know. I'm just spitballing. 
or we didn't send it to, we had to see that shit arbitration? That's right. We will probably win because the arbitrator will be like, yeah, yes, yeah, definitely. We all had to see that shit. Yeah.